Amen. Have your Bibles this morning. Please turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. So I appreciate uh, Brother Phil filling in while I was gone. Everyone has asked, did we have a good time? And I've said it was all right. But let me tell you with all my heart, we missed y'all. We missed being here. It is just such a pleasure, such a privilege to be back with such good folks, y'all, or some really good folks, in spite of the fact you don't smile much. <laughs> You're some really good folks, and we really appreciate you and appreciate, appreciate the Lord being here. This morning, I want to talk with you about the roots of revival. The roots of revival. I don't know how many of you in here have heard of what is being called the Greenville Awakening. The Greenville Awakening um, began sometime around April 15th in the rural town of Chucky, Kentucky. A few area churches, very small churches, uh, joined together to host a tent revival. And they scheduled it to last for one week. One pastor explained why. He said... Uh, People just don't support revivals if they last longer than a week. Well, this one's a little different. This revival is in its 15th week. Amen. And as far as anyone can tell, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. One of the churches involved was Greystone Free Will Baptist Church. Roger Stockton is the pastor there. He said... So far, there have been 351 people professing faith in Christ. Most of them, really hard to believe, most of them are over the age of 40. He says whole families will empty a pew to come to the altars. He said we don't see that in churches anymore. That's an understatement, isn't it? We don't see revival much in churches anymore, do we? I gave up scheduling one-week revivals. Do you know why? Because people would usually stop coming around Monday or Tuesday night. Why is that? Well, I've been told that people are so busy. They work a lot of overtime. They're attending school activities, sports activities. The TV and the Internet a lot of times will keep us up all night. And we just don't have time. We don't have time for revival. Let me ask you this question. Do you need revival? Does our church need revival? Now, I'm not asking you, do we need a revival meeting? I'm not asking you, do we need a revival preacher or revival music? Do you and I need revival? We have never been so materially well off and so spiritually destitute. We have never had more Christians willing to sit and listen and less Christians willing to go and witness. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to wait for a meeting. 
We need revival now. The question is how? If we need revival that desperately, how can we have revival today? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look back on one of the most amazing revivals in all of history. And we're going to examine the roots of a real revival, not just for them, but for you and I today. I would ask you, if you can and you will, to please stand in honor of our Lord and His Word. And let's begin reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse number 14. Hear what God is saying to your heart this morning. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Topath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her to that effect. And then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. 
So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Let's pray. Lord, today, if your word does nothing else, if you accomplish nothing else through the preaching of your word, give us a desire. Give us a hunger and a thirst for revival. Lord, not the revival that someone else is experiencing, but the one you want us to have. The one that does not begin in our community and it does not begin in our church. Begins in our families. Begins in our own hearts. Lord, we cannot have revival without you. But Lord, your word can bring revival. Through your word, the spirit can bring revival to our hearts. And I would pray that if nothing else happens today, you would give us a hunger and a thirst and a desire to experience revival in our own hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Read about a church that was having their annual revival services. And uh, on the first night, the preacher preaches about repentance. And this guy comes up to the altar and he just prays the same thing over and over again. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. The next night, the preacher challenges the congregation to totally surrender their lives to Christ. And this same guy comes back to the altar. He prays exactly the same thing. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. The third night, the preacher preaches on holiness. says, well, we need to be the holy people of God. Same guy comes to the altar. Prays exactly the same thing. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. One little boy says to his daddy, he said, Daddy, I think I know why he keeps praying for God to fill him. He said, well, why is that, son? He says, because I think he sprung a leak somewhere. <laughs> well, that's why we need revival, isn't it? We get a leak. We get a leak in our joy. A leak in our faith, a leak in our love. Revival is not just about refueling your emotions. It's about renewing your faith in Christ. It's about refreshing your satisfaction in him. It's about recommitting yourself to serve him. Duncan Campbell says revival is not churches filled with people. Revival is people filled with God. Now you will see that nowhere in the Bible more clearly than the passage that we've read. God's people, the nation of Israel, these would be the same people that he rescues from slavery in Egypt. The same people that he feeds manna in the desert. He gives them water out of a rock. He parts the Red Sea for them. He brings them into the promised land. He blesses them, gives them King David and a golden age. These same people are now worshiping idols. They're now forsaking the law of God denying justice to the poor, embracing immorality. 
Things aren't looking very good. And then, then this, this young king, this eight-year-old boy, steps up to the throne. His name is Josiah. And in the first 13 chapters of chapter 34, it talks about some reforms that he begins producing, dismantles a lot of the temples, begins repairing the temple of the Lord. But it's not until verse 14 that reform turns into revival. It's not until verse 14 that you start to see the roots of real revival, not just for them, but for you and I. The first root of real revival is in verse 14 through 18. If you want real revival, you've got to rediscover the book. You've got to rediscover the book. Several years ago, I had a good friend of mine, love him to pieces. He came and preached revival at the church where I pastored. And one day we had lunch during the revival. And I said, well, you know, uh, what do you plan on preaching on? He said, well, you know, at my own church, I preach expository messages. And expository messages are just you lay out what the scripture says and you lay out what God's calling you to do. He said, but I don't really preach that way at revival. He said, at revival, I'm, I take a little more liberty because you have to get people excited. And I've noticed that's the approach to a lot of revivals. You need to get a charismatic speaker. When I say charismatic, I don't mean Pentecostal. I mean somebody that captures people's imagination. You need to get a charismatic speaker and somebody that knows how to draw a crowd and work a crowd. And You want to bring in special musicians, special singers, uh, special people that can help get everybody's attention. Now, I have no desire to promote boring preaching, and I have no problem with good music. But brothers and sisters, the world will always outdo us when it comes to entertainment. They'll always be able to entertain a crowd much better than we can. And revival is not about keeping people entertained. There's one thing the world doesn't have. They don't have the Word of God. I believe revival comes only whenever we rediscover the power of the Word of God. That's what happens with Josiah. The group of workmen are building, busy building the temple, rebuilding, repairing the temple. Verse 14 says, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. This is the same, there wasn't really a book, it was a scroll. But it was the scroll that revealed the law of the Lord and the love of the Lord to his people. It's been hidden away. Now, now understand something. Everybody look up here. Understand something. They're still going to the temple. They're still offering sacrifices. They're still praying without the word of God. They still have church every Sunday. Well, not really. It was every Saturday. They still get together. This word has been hidden away, maybe in some corner, maybe some behind some stone. They have a form of worship. But the word of God has been forgotten. Verse 18 says, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. How long do you suppose? How long has it been since those precious words have been read? How long has it been 
since those precious words have been heard. Now that they've been rediscovered, that's when real revival is going to come. That is the root of real revival. And if you and I want real revival, we must discover, we must rediscover the word. Um, those people who keep track of such things tell me that every, almost every home in the United States has a Bible in it somewhere. It may be sitting on a shelf. It may be sitting on a dresser. It may be on a coffee table. Maybe covered with dust. You probably have more than one Bible at your house. I want you to understand something. The question is not how many Bibles do you have. The question is how much of the Bible has you. See, the Bible is meant to be read, but it is also meant to be lived. This book has the answers to your most important questions. Preacher, I want to have a happy marriage. Preacher, I want to have a happy family. This book has the answer. Preacher, I, I'm not real good at handling my money. I need, to, I need, to, need some financial advice. need some ideas about how to invest, how to spend my money. This book has the answers you're looking for. I'm having a problem dealing with stress. I'm worried all the time. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm full of grief, full of sorrow. I'm starting to get a little older. I, I need to know how to age gracefully. Where do you get the answers to those questions? Out of this book. Oh, and don't forget, this book shows you how to be forgiven. Shows you how to know God, how to get to heaven. Our problem is this is not where we're going for answers. We're going somewhere else. If we were to rediscover this book as the answers to every question we have to live our lives, we'd have revival. Real revival is when you discover the power of God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A young man once came to a preacher. He said, Preacher, you're always talking about reading the Bible. You're always talking about reading the Bible. He said, But I've started reading the Bible, and I've gone through it several times. I've gone through it several times, and I haven't gotten much out of it. Gone through the Bible over and over and over again, haven't gotten much out of it. The preacher said, listen, maybe if instead of going through the Bible, you let the Bible go through you, you might discover a difference. The root of real revival comes as you rediscover God's word. A second root of real revival comes in verse 19 through 28. Real revival comes when you repent of your sin. I had a dear lady, the very first church I ever pastored, who enjoyed telling me what kind of preaching she liked. She's very specific. She would, and usually it was something I wasn't doing. But she enjoyed telling me, this, Preacher, this is the kind of preaching I like. And one of the things she hammered away at was she said, Preacher, I like for preaching to step on toes. 
I like for preaching to step on toes. After I preached several sermons dealing with the sins of the saints, I found out what she really meant. What she meant was, I like preaching that steps on other people's toes. That's what I like. That's always easier to handle, isn't it? We want, we want revival to, to convict those folks to step on other people's toes. And we forget that those folks are us folks. When Josiah hears the word of the Lord, do you notice what happens in verse 19? The king heard the words of the law and he tore his clothes. In the ancient world, tearing your clothes, they sometimes call it rending your garments, it was an expression of great grief. You tore your clothes if you heard that your house burned down, you lost everything in it. If someone you loved died, you would tear your clothes. That's the kind of grief that we're talking about. It's the kind of sorrow that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians 7.10, where the Bible says godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Well, Josiah, what are you so torn up about, if you don't mind me making a little pun there? Verse 21, great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in this book. Josiah says, guys, we are in trouble. We have not done what God told us to do. Josiah's repentance is so real that he calls other people to come and join him in repentance. It's so real that whenever the prophetess Huldah speaks, he said, because you've done this, because you've rent your garments, because you've been sorrowful, judgment will be delayed. But don't miss the point here. Repentance is the root of revival. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is no revival without repentance. There is no revival without you, without me, repenting. It's not going to happen. Never will happen. Like Josiah, when we read this book, we ought to be convicted. When I first became a Christian, at the Christian bookstore, they sold these little boxes that had scripture in them. And uh, they were interesting little boxes with just little portions of scripture. But something I noticed about them when I started reading them, every one of them was messages of comfort. What God will do for you. How God will make you feel better. How God will solve your problems. God will heal you. God will do all these things. There weren't any little pieces of paper on this is something you're doing wrong. For some reason, they didn't include those in the little scripture box. There was nothing in there about, well, you know what? You need to start doing this. This book is supposed to be like goads. Now, I'm not a cow farmer, but I do know what goads are. I think they have electrical ones now. you got an animal that you need to move, and it's stubborn, and it's willful and it doesn't want to go anywhere, you stick that thing to it and you get it in movement. That's what this word is supposed to be. This word is supposed to say, you know what? I'm doing something right here. I don't need to be doing this. I need to stop. And repentance means that I'm going to stop. 
back. Repentance also means there's something over here I'm not doing that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm going to start doing it. That's what repentance is. This word is not about making you feel good. It's not about patting you on the back for what a good job you're doing. It can be comforting. But more importantly, it must be convicting. Now listen very carefully. This is important. When I say convicting, I don't mean condemning. Because you see, condemning is the devil's work. The devil wants to condemn you for your sins. You've blown it, that's it, forget about it. Conviction says you need to stop doing this, and you can stop doing this. You need to start doing this, and you can start doing this. The Holy Spirit convicts us. It says this is something that needs to be corrected. Burke Parsons once said, if you can read the Bible without convicting your heart, you are not really reading it. That's the truth. When was the last time you read the Bible and you felt the Holy Spirit convicting your heart? Reminding, me, reminding you of something that you need to quit doing, that you are doing. Reminding you of something that you're not doing that you need to start doing. The root of revival is repentance. Without repentance, there is no revival. You can have people enjoying coming to church. You can have people singing songs. You can have a preacher that will knock your socks off. But if there's no repentance, there's no revival. The third and final root of revival is in verse 29 through 33. You must return to your first love. You must return to your first love. One of the biggest lies the world tells us is that love is easy. Now, you believe that when you first get married, don't you? Oh, yeah. I love her to pieces. I love her to pieces. I, I just, I love spending every second with her. And then at one point, he starts doing something that aggravates you. Oh, I can put up with that. I can handle that. I mean, if that's the worst, but that's not the worst. He keeps doing more and more and more things that aggravate the pudding out of you. And love is all of a sudden becomes hard. There are times when loving your husband or your wife comes easy. There are also times when it's not so easy. The dirty little secret that I try to tell everybody I counsel when they get married is that loving each other is hard work. You have to make time. You have to make the effort. Somebody once said marriage is about falling in love again and again, always with the same person. That's the reason why the Bible says that marriage is not a contract to be negotiated. It is a covenant. It is a binding commitment till death do you part. That's one of the real roots of revival. Josiah repents. But repentance isn't enough. He wants restoration. Calls all the leaders to come to the temple. And he reads the word of God to them. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 31. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Next words are very important. With all his heart and all his soul. 
to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. He's not just giving a political speech. He's not just preaching a, a, a nice, comfy sermon. This man is returning to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul. And he's calling the rest of his people to do the same thing. Josiah recommits. Josiah calls his people to recommit their covenant to God, to God, not with mere words, but with all their heart. He leads them to return to their first love. Revelation 2, Lord is writing a letter to one of the churches that he loves, church in Ephesus. He compliments them on a lot of things. But then in Revelation 2, 4, he says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You know what that's like? For some of you, it's been a while. Maybe for others of you, maybe more recently. The day that you come to Jesus and you repent of all your sins, you surrender your life to him. Jesus is so sweet to you. You feel so close to him and so happy. And I mean, you're, you're willing to go anywhere. You're willing to do anything for him. And then time starts to take its toll. Your love grows cool. Heart grows cold. Obeying Jesus becomes optional. Serving Jesus becomes a chore. When that happens, you know for sure you need revival. You need to return with all your heart and your soul to your first love. Because revival does not begin in a special meeting, and it doesn't begin with special music or a special preacher. Revival begins in your heart. It begins in you, and if it doesn't start there, it doesn't start anywhere. It will never spread to a church or a community or a nation till it first comes to you. Gypsy Smith was a famous evangelist of the 19th century. Once had a young man told him, came to him and said, Preacher, I need revival. Can you tell me how to have revival? Gypsy Smith said, well, do you have a place where you can pray? He said, oh, yes. He said, so I want you to go to that place where you pray. I want you to take a piece of chalk with you. I want you to kneel down, and with that chalk, I want you to draw a circle all the way around yourself. All the way around yourself. And then I want you to pray for God to send revival on everything inside of that circle. And you stay there till he answers and you will have revival. I wonder if you're here today and you need revival. Say, Brother Mike, I can't wait for a meeting. Brother Mike, I, I'm tired of just going through the motions. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry for something else real. I need something that can mend my marriage, something that can bring my family back together, something that can give me peace today and hope for tomorrow. You need revival. You will only have it when you rediscover the power of God's word. You will only have revival when you repent of the things you're doing that you know are wrong. 
You will only have revival when you return to your first love. This morning, every single one of us is one step from revival. What I'm calling you to do this morning is to take that step. Would you bow your heads with me, please?